Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Pulling the Strings podcast, as always powered by Puppet. We're recording this the first week of Pride Month, and that's one of my favorite times of the year because not only is it sort of a celebration of many of the people I love, but it's a celebration of being able to love yourself for who you are and of accepting and loving other people for exactly who they are too. It's a time to be proud of our true selves. So hi, my name is Ben Ford. I'm the ecosystem product manager here at Puppet, and I'm active in the community as Benford2K. We are today trying out a new way of hosting the show, so co-hosting with me is... Hello, I'm Lauren Lee. I have recently joined the Puppet family as the director of community. Uh, you may recognize me from our new Twitch stream that's at twitch.tv slash puppetize, so go check that out. Or uh, for my personal podcast called We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech, which celebrates uh, diversity in tech and unique and untraditional journeys to tech itself. Uh, I've been loving getting to know the puppet community so far in the past few months since I've joined, and I'm really looking forward to joining you, Ben, as the co-host on Pulling the Strings. <laughs> I am really glad to have you here. And today we are really excited to talk with uh, Melissa Casburn. She's a director of UX here at Puppet. Her pronouns are she and her, uh, and she brings experiences from more than 15, I think, years of, of UX, including Puppet and a whole variety of different industries through work in uh, various Portland digital agencies. Um, so she likes to work a, a focus on sort of systems thinking and ethics, and I'm super excited to sit with her on our Products Ethics Council here, which she drives. Uh, Melissa, do you want to elaborate on any of that or tell us something interesting about yourself? Hi, thank you for the lovely intro. Um, I guess the best place to start is why we're talking today. So I am an out and proud bisexual woman. I came out 30 years ago, almost to the day, it was sometime around this month or so, 30 years ago. And uh, I, I had the, the, the luck and the joy and the privilege of growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I did choose to go to San Francisco State University for my bachelor's work. And while I figured out that I was bi in high school, Taking, taking that sort of nascent realization to the queerest city in the world, arguably, I really just sort of, ex it all sort of exploded and I came out to everybody. I met this cute girl in the cafe on campus and I thought, what if this is the girl I marry? And I rushed home and came back to my parents and it all just went from there. Oh, I love that. It was a really, really fun time to be alive. But unfortunately, you get into the work world, right? College is, is not the work world. And this was the, by the time I got out of college, it was the mid 90s. It was not a super great time to be not only a woman in tech and my, my career in tech spans all the way back to my mid 20s, but being a queer woman in tech, that was just unheard of. So it's been really amazing to be now at Puppet. I've been in Portland now for 23 years and Puppet for six and a half years and to be working at a company that is so forward in acknowledging and supporting and celebrating queer employees feels uh, like such a healthy place for me to be. I actually started coming out at work about 10 or 15 years ago, but coming out, first of all, is, is not a one and done process. You come out over and over again. And there are places that are safer and less safe to come out. And there are times in your life that are safer and less safe. And there are parts of the world. And uh, so, so being at Puppet and having uh, that sort of warm, soft space around me for the past many years 
has been really nice. Um, I'm also excited uh, to have been recently elected as the president of Portland Lesbian Choir, which I'll talk a bit more about later. Um, but it's another way to be out and proud and visible and connected to community um, here in Portland. So that's a lot about me. That's honestly, it's a beautiful story, Melissa. I, I always love hearing your, your story and talking with you about this. And, and congrats on the on the uh, uh, appointment. That's that's really exciting to, to hear. So I wanted to bring Melissa on because she told me about an article that she's working on about why she's out at work and you know how important it is to, to have role models in, in, in people's lives. So I'll, I'll start out by asking, uh, like, who were your queer role models growing up and, and like in developing your career and, and giving you the confidence to do this? None. No, literally none. Oh, no. There were none. <laughs> the 90s were an interesting time. Bisexual women were in this period of being highly sexualized by mass media. So for better or for worse, we had visibility, but it was really the wrong kind of visibility. Uh there's also a tendency for bisexual folks to remain closeted in general. We can become invisible. I, I'm in a relationship with a um, with a male partner. That means my status as a bisexual when we're in public together becomes invisible. A lot of bisexual people disappear. Their queerness disappears because we also statistically end up in relationships with 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 partners of different genders. I hear that so much. Um, my my partner personally uh, is also bisexual, and we're in a very heteronormative appearing relationship. Yeah, and she feels very invisible in a lot of spaces. So we we do our best to like like celebrate and bring her out more. Yeah, and it, so it takes a lot of intention, right? To 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 be visible um, in those scenarios. And you know, I was growing up and 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 in my formative years and post college years around the time that Ellen DeGeneres was coming out. And so that was really just the beginning of so much visibility for the queer community as a whole. And bisexual people were not really strongly at the forefront. We've been around the whole time. We've been organizing and present and um, in the community, but we haven't been the face of it really. And I just, I had literally zero role models. I looked, I looked more for um, strong women in tech without mm -hmm. much concern for their sexual orientation. Um, because that in and of itself, as I mentioned earlier, it was a, it was a hard, hard time back then um, for women to survive uh, in, the, in the tech world. Um, I know it's not easy today, um, but it was a lot harder back then because there were just fewer of us. I, I bet that's that's so true. Um, when we were first talking about this podcast, you kind of made this joke about like you were okay if you had to be the token queer. <laughs> um, and I, 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 I hate that phrase, but you know, that's that's... It's it's a thing, but what I'm curious about is like after hearing that story, how did you develop the strength with, with being able to even make that joke in the first place? Uh, I do want to talk about the word queer for a second because it's a word that not everybody's comfortable with. I was not comfortable with for a long time because in my coming out years, that was absolutely a slur and it was a violent slur. Um, it's nice to see the reclamation process that has happened particularly with the younger generation around that word, in part because it's a lot easier to say it than LGBTQAII++, what have you. Um, but it also is such a more as, as, we, as, we, as we sort of thin slice um, kind of parts of our identity and are able to label and talk about and understand ourselves um, in a more nuanced way, it allows us to just kind of wrap everybody in one, one big hug if you're, if you're comfortable with that word. But the the reason I said that to you, Ben, is because we collectively have been held back and blocked 
from so much for so many years, housing, jobs, healthcare, legal protections. Look, we just had another big fight about it in the Supreme Court. What was that a year ago? Trans people are fighting every single day for rights and recognition. They're, 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 it seems like every time they get one step forward, the you know conservatives pull them two steps back. It's so hard. And I wanna be part of normalizing queer people being out and proud and successful. And part of that is ensuring that younger people can see us doing those things to sustain the hope that they need to keep going. So many queer kids suffer through so much, not just at general society, but family and church and other kids. And so many of them don't make it through it. Uh, I had a very privileged upbringing. I am, I'm on a podcast, so people can't see me, but I am white. I grew up middle class. I had very, I had a child of divorce, but very supportive, loving parents. When I came out to them, they're like, cool, have a nice life. We love you. Uh, I'm very lucky in that regard. And a lot of other kids just don't have the advantages I have. And it's been very safe for me. And I do think that the workplace should look like the world in terms of representation, but not everyone is safe to be out at work because their environment's not safe or because they carry too much trauma to, to, to come out, to, to show up and, and, and to show up as their whole selves. Um, many of us are also, as we talked about, het passing um, or cis passing. I'm cisgender as well or what have you. There was a recent Gallup poll that said 5.6% of Americans are LGBTQ. But when you look at the younger generations, it's much higher. Gen Z is actually 16%. Mm. So there's reasons for that. Uh, people feel more comfortable coming out. We have more language. Kids understand earlier that heteronormativity is not their only option. We also, of course, uh, have lost many, many people to AIDS, and that has shrunk the numbers down from our older generations as well. So there's a lot there. Um, but when you break down these numbers by sexual orientation, more than half of us are bisexual, according to this Gallup poll, 55%. We're everywhere, but we're invisible. Mm. So I know that there are folks um, at Puppet who are bisexual and are choosing not to talk about it. And they're at everybody's workplace who are choosing not to talk about it. And that's totally fine. It's never for me to say what's safe for you, but it's safe for me. And so I consider it like, like sort of my job mm -hmm. to be to be out because I can be, especially at the age I'm at, where my career is evolved enough that if I had some run-in and lost my job, I have a lot, I have a much bigger safety net than a lot of younger folks do. Yeah, well, it's an important advocacy work to do to model, right? And to be yeah. that person for folks that might be at a different stage in their journey of sharing and living that kind of like authentic self at work, which is feels like a newer concept even. I think we used to have to perform as like one person at the job and then be your real self at home. But it seems as though we're allowed to now maybe blur those a bit and it's celebrated. And I think that that is pretty cool. I agree. And there, look, there are people that are perfectly happy showing up at work in a, in a way that's different from home. And that's fine too. Totally. Yeah. Your point, the option to do that and the, and the language to talk about it and the support for it is, is, is very new. Yeah, and it feels like it's it's kind of a little bit of our responsibility to share our privilege when we have that to share, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, can we touch on, you know, just like what it means to working in a safe space versus not to out other places or coworkers or places you've been before, but other places that you've been in? So thankfully, I've never had anyone be actively hostile toward me at work. Thank goodness. I, I don't, I honestly don't know what I would have done in that scenario. I'm not a confrontational person. 
Um, I, I don't know if I would have been scared out of my own job or some something else terrible. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. And I know that that's not the case for a lot of people. So I wouldn't say that I've been in necessarily an unsafe workplace in the past, but I've definitely, every workplace I've been in before Puppet was at least neutral about it, mm. which is fine, right? It's fine to be able to show up and and not feel like you're being celebrated, but not feel like you're being denigrated either. That's that's not a it's not a bad space to be. What I do love about Puppet, though, and the difference with being at Puppet and a lot of other companies today is that we actively participate in Pride. We we go and do the parade in the years where we have a parade. <laughs> um, we have internal activities. We participate. I, I actually tabled uh, a recruiting thing with Puppet for lesbians who tech a couple years ago, which was super great. And then um, we're sending some folks this year to the Lesbians Who Tech Pride Summit. I'm just, Can I just say also, I'm so excited the Pride Summit exists. And I wonder what my life would have been like if that sort of support, community support had been around for me 20 years ago. And I hope that folks are taking full advantage of, of these opportunities while they're there. I just think it's so important. We, you know, Puppet, back to Puppet, uh, we have this wonderful rainbow version of our logo that we use all over the place. Uh, And and it feels good to see it, you know. I think that, um, I think probably a lot of people assume I'm straight. And certainly if I'm out walking with my partner, they, they do. I will often go out of my way at work and outside of work to ensure that I will invent opportunities to tell people that I'm bisexual because I'm trying to actively overcome that. I'm trying to intentionally overcome that. Uh, And I, and I think I probably do that more at work uh, because that's a place where for me personally, there's not scar tissue, but, but like a wish, right. That, that, that it, that that had been there for me many, many years ago. I hear what you're saying there. I, uh, I, I, I do things like I, I have some rainbow socks and things like that that I wear just to blur those lines so that people think that maybe I am and, and, and maybe realize that it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. Like I can be who I am and, and I don't care if you think one way or another way about, about me. That's one of the ways that I try to share privilege. Oh, it's very, very tiny in comparison to a lot of the things that you're talking about. I appreciate it though. I notice those things and I can't be the only queer person who notices those things and appreciates it. Because it feels it feels like a warm smile, you know, walking through the workplace and seeing that recognition and and puppet really does that. Puppet takes steps that are that that signal to me, hey, we see you and we celebrate you. And that that, that feels good. Would I still love to work at Puppet without it? Yes. But it's it's that extra bit. It's very warm. What are some other like like pieces of advice you might give like me as somebody who is is like not really queer, but more like queer adjacent? Uh uh, as, as an ally to be more supportive of the people in my life or in my workplace. One of the conversations that's been picking up speed so much in the past couple of years uh, that I'm so grateful for is, is the one of assumed gender. I have a lot of trans friends. We have in, in Portland Lesbian Choir, we have uh, incorporated a very active pronoun sharing protocol. Uh, the, the biggest thing I think is is to try to unwind any tendency you may have to make assumptions about gender, about the genders of people's partners, um, which of course then kind of looks to the sexual orientation of those people. We're, we're just, we're swimming in, we're swimming in heterosexuality and cisgender all the time. Um, 
it takes no small effort to step back from that and um, remove the ability to sort of automatically assume that. But that's what I would ask everybody to try to work on is create open space for all of these different types of people to exist right in front of you. You know, when I was growing up, I had my first crush on a girl when I was 11, before I had a crush on a boy for the first time, but I didn't know what it was because everything's heterosexual. The whole world's heterosexual. So I didn't have any language for that. I didn't know what it meant. I just thought, oh, I really respect her and I would like to be her friend. And it took me years to look back on that and say, oh no, that was actually my first crush. And for those of you who are older like me, it was Marty Maraschino from the movie Grease, played by Dinah Manoff. <laughs> and I had had one. society. <laughs> she's she's beautiful. Yeah. Had society made more space for that when I was younger? I could have yeah. known younger that I was bisexual. I could have. I wish that society had made more space for that when I was younger. And so, and so I would ask people to make space for that now, especially with the conversation being so available uh, and folks being around to, to help, help you learn and point you to resources where you can self-educate. And on that note, the other thing I would say is, you know, ask us questions. You can ask us questions if, if, you are, if you are curious what it's like, or you have a friend who is questioning or you are questioning and you just want to get some perspective, um, it's okay to be curious and not really understand how our lives are different and want to know more. If we're open to fielding questions from you, cool. If somebody says, no, I don't want to have that conversation, just hear the no and respect their boundary. Yeah. I was going to ask how you, how you open that conversation, how you like have Mm -hmm. that, like, like do that in, in a respectful way. Oh, I think you just be just be direct and clear. Every single person I know. So, so my trans friends probably get the most um, questions and and curiosity about their lives and how they how they live, and I will repeat to you what they tell me, which is if you miss the pronoun, just do a quick apology and keep keep moving. If you have a question, just ask. Are you open to a question or two? Are you saying open with a uh, question of can I ask the question rather yeah. than jumping right in? Yeah, start with permission. Look, I'm. I'm very open. And and I will say, uh, Ben, you were very respectful of me as we were talking about what this podcast was going to be like. And I deeply appreciate that. I am an open book. A lot of people aren't for many, many different reasons. So I might say, Ben, I'm curious if I can ask you a question about Mm. uh, your rainbow socks. And you could say yes or no. That's all. Keep it light. Yeah. and And respect that. That seems like a, a, a really easy thing to do, and, and, and it makes it real light and easy for either person in the conversation to, to kind of like back out without what, like losing face, maybe. I, it's, it's an easy way to say no. It's an easy out, right? Yeah. I'm wondering if there's any advice uh, that you could share that's to someone who's maybe listening that isn't um, in that space where they feel they can be open or like fully who they are in their workplace or in their, in their job. Like, I don't know. I think it's so cool that you are, as you say, just like an open book on who you are and living authentically yourself. Um, There's a lot of reasons people aren't, but someone that's listening, that's wanting maybe resources or encouragement that we could share. So I can only, I can only be an expert about myself and my own experience. What I will say about my own decision, because I I mentioned earlier that I did not start to come out until I was in my mid-30s. I chose that time because the burden of holding it in felt heavier than the potential 
losses or burden I might feel by letting it out. And I had to weigh those risks for myself. What is the real, real risk to me in this scenario? What are the real risks I might face in this scenario? Am, am I at risk of losing my job, losing friends, losing family, losing community? Versus what is the psychic burden of holding this in and having to either obfuscate myself or in some cases actually lie about who I am, which uh, I, I would dance around the point. I never, I never claimed to be straight, but I would dance around it for many, many years unless I felt like I was in a place where I either wasn't at risk or I didn't care uh, about that person's opinion. But that is... A pr that is such a that's such an intimate personal process for everyone. I would encourage folks to build community outside of work so that there is a support network in place if something bad happens or if you just had a bad day. Where is your soft landing? And I and I'll talk about Portland Lesbian Choir for a minute, uh, which I promised to do because that is a soft landing for me. I joined Portland Lesbian Choir in part because I'm too old to keep going to karaoke bars, but because I also was missing community. Like I, I have a, I, my career is very satisfying. I have wonderful friends, uh, but I was really missing being in community with other queer people in a really active way, not just accidentally running into people on the street or going to Pride once a year, but really being steeped in community. Portland's Being Choir is a non-audition choir, so you do not need to have the best voice to join. We are as much about being in community as we are about singing, and the two things really build on each other. And, and if you're, for listeners who go to church and sing gospel, you might understand what I'm talking about. It is a, it is that sort of powerful way of connecting through shared values and shared experiences. And the music that we perform is... Uh, always around themes that are important to uh, queer people by artists who celebrate queer people or are queer themselves um, as much as possible. Not all of it, obviously. And there are other choirs in town. If, if this floats your boat, there's Portland Gay Men's Chorus, Transpose PDX, Aurora Chorus, Bridging Voices, the Northwest Queer Chorus. There's lots of us out there um, joining for this kind of activity. Um, and look, maybe you're not into singing. That's cool, but there are also other queer groups. And so build that community where you can um, to help you um, sort of counterbalance what may feel scary in other contexts, work being one of them. Um, PLC just debuted our spring show on YouTube. It's called A Roof and a Bed, and it features music that explores home and houselessness. Uh, we partner with Rose Haven, which is a women's shelter uh, in Portland as well. Uh, if you don't want to, uh, sing with a choir, um, please check out our concerts. If you don't want to do that, maybe you can donate some money because we're a nonprofit and we're always looking for donations to help us keep going. Oh, I love that you have that. It sounds like an incredible group. It's so cool that you found that. I, I live far away from y'all. I'm in Miami, um, but I, I will look to see if there's one local here. It's so cool. I guarantee you there's stuff in Miami. There's a lot of queer people in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> but it just sounds like a really neat way to gather and um, intentionally kind of cultivate community. And there's something really lovely about just singing collaboratively that feels, yeah, fills you up in a really incredible way. It does. It really does.
there's a lot of other like like other sort of community uh uh things you could get involved with my partner and i used to run with a local group here called the portland uh front runners um and one of the things that i loved about it is that uh they welcomed me into their like into their group to go to go run with them even though i was more adjacent and and, and i was just welcomed as one of the group and it felt like a really good like safe space to just be and just be who you were you know yeah yeah Another Portland resource, uh, if you're here, is the Portland Bi Brigade, which is a group that they participate in Pride. They do, um, well, in the before times when bars were open, they would do a bar meetup at one of the, well, there's not, a, not as many gay bars in Portland as there used to be, but they would do a meetup periodically at Crush, uh, which is over in Southeast. Boy, do I miss the Egyptian room, if anybody listening ever went there big lesbian bar that used to be down on division. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing all of this, Melissa. Where can people find you online? Uh, I am on Twitter uh, semi-regularly. Uh, my handle is at mcasburn. I will be pushing an article to Medium shortly that is about why I came out at work and stayed out, which will echo a lot of what we talked about here. And my Medium handle is at Melissa Casburn. And because the only thing about me is not my queerness, uh, I'm also on Instagram. So if you like knitting and pictures of labradoodles, you can find me there at, at Melissa Casburn. That sounds awesome. We'll make sure to put uh, links to all of those in the uh, the show notes. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, uh, Melissa. I always I love talking with you because you have so many incredible insights on like just work and life and like everything. Thank you, Ben. That is a very generous compliment and I appreciate it. Yeah, it was such a joy. Uh, thank you both for having this conversation. And I believe that's a wrap for today. And once again, thanks for being here on the Pulling the Strings podcast powered by Puppet. 